I'm Chris Reback. This is Investigating Breast Cancer, the podcast of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation and conversations with the world's leading scientists studying breast cancer prevention, diagnosis, treatment, survivorship, and metastasis. It's a new year, and who among us wasn't ready to say goodbye to 2020? And in the spirit of both a new year and an effort to support our New Year's resolutions, you know, to shed a few pounds, we are kicking off 2021 with a health-focused conversation, specifically one that explores the science and research around health in breast cancer patients, which is exactly what Dr. Vered Stearns does. Dr. Stearns is a professor of oncology and director of the Women's Malignancies Disease Group at the Sidney Kimmel Comprehensive Cancer Center at Johns Hopkins University. She's a member of the BCRF Scientific Advisory Board and has been a BCRF investigator since 2003. Dr. Stern's long-term research goal is to improve current therapies by individualizing strategies for the treatment and prevention of breast cancer. Much of her research includes utilization of biomarkers to predict response to standard regimens used to treat and prevent breast cancer and to introduce new treatments. Last year, Dr. Stearns and other researchers published an important study comparing remote versus self-directed weight loss, which approach not only works better in terms of weight loss itself, but more importantly, how those results can impact biomarkers for breast cancer risk and improve patient outcomes. Before my conversation with Dr. Stearns, though, an ask from me to you. I hope you like these investigating breast cancer conversations. If so, I'd appreciate if you'd take a moment, go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and if you're so moved, leave a five-star review. The ratings really matter. They go a long way to helping other people find the podcast. Thank you for considering my request. Here's my conversation with Dr. Vered Stearns. Dr. Stearns, Happy New Year. I hope you got to spend some time with family. Uh, holiday time and relaxation time seems to uh, often go away quickly, so I hope you're, you're still able to reap some of the New Year benefits. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, I had a relaxing time, and I'm looking forward to 2021. Thank you. So given that it is a New Year, and as you know, uh, there's just one thing on everyone's mind in a new year, and that is losing weight. I want to talk to you about your study from last year around how best to do that via remote coaching or through more self-directed measures. But let me start with the concept of weight loss more generally. We know that being overweight can bring various health risks to anyone. That's why for many of us, it's a New Year's resolution, uh, whether we have breast cancer or not. Are the health risks greater for people either at risk of or managing through breast cancer? That's exactly right. As you know, individuals are overweight or obese are at risk for many uh, illnesses. But in addition to what we're aware of, such as diabetes or heart disease, people who are overweight or obese are also at risk for several types of cancers. And specifically for the field of my interest, uh, women who are overweight or obese are at a slightly higher risk of developing breast cancer. But more than that, if they develop breast cancer, they are also at risk for inferior outcomes. So uh, this is why trying to help our women lose weight has been a priority. And as I was researching this and learning more about you and, and some of your work, I, I came across uh, the fact that 
I know you know, I didn't know this, that unfortunately for various reasons, many women gain weight after a cancer diagnosis, um, which can increase their risk uh, of reoccurrence and, and death, of course. Why does that occur? Is it physiological, e- emotional, behavioral, some mix of, of all of the above? There are indeed several reasons why women who have been diagnosed with breast cancer gain weight. Not everybody uh, gains weight. I want to emphasize that, but many will. And it's probably more likely to happen in women who have uh, or are still premenopausal at the time of their breast cancer diagnosis and may undergo several treatments such as chemotherapy or receive some endocrine treatment that will uh, enhance uh, menopause and maybe it will be a more abrupt menopause. And so those are some of the women uh, we struggle a little more with weight gain over time. In addition, when women do get chemotherapy, there's some alteration either uh, in the foods they prefer to eat or um, with the taste buds or uh, having a little bit less activity. So most women with chemo- on chemotherapy actually gain uh, some weight. Uh, again, not, not a lot, and it, it doesn't necessarily continue, uh, but they do gain some weight. Um, so this is something that we try very much to address from the very beginning of the treatment course. And when you say address, do you mean from a, uh, surely from a medical health point of view, but uh, is it is it as well, you know, none of us likes to feel out of shape. None of us likes to feel uh, overweight. And so I would imagine on some level it is both a physical health risk, but also perhaps an emotional, mental burden added on top of what one is already obviously going through. Or am I overstating it? You're absolutely correct. Uh, Having a diagnosis of cancer is very scary. It's overwhelming, and there's a lot to think about and plan. So we really try to first concentrate on the treatment Uh, demonstrating how most women survive their cancer or live for many years with their cancer uh, and then uh, offer in addition to a treatment plan, also what uh, my colleagues and I are calling prescription to wellness. We want Mm. women to be able to live their lives uh, as well as they want to. And the other thing I remind women is that you might have to undergo multiple different treatments for your cancer, and this will take months or a year, and then you might need to be on hormonal therapy for five to 10 years. Um, So this gives us time for continued dialogue. So at least what I do, I encourage women to continue to eat healthy and to have regular activity during treatment because it actually minimizes side effects related to treatment. Uh, But if a woman says, you know, I've never been really very active or I really know I need to make a change in my diet, I don't necessarily ask her to make immediate change. We'll start with gradual changes, Uh, take a walk around the block or talk to our nutritionist. And then once we go through the acute part of the treatment, then we'll help her with more rigorous plan. And indeed, in the um, study that we're talking about today, we enrolled women who were about three or, or so months from their completion of the acute part of their treatment because we wanted them to be able to focus on, on this 
part of continuing to feel well and be well. The other thing I wanted to to mention is that uh, women do really like the idea of getting as much information as possible about other activities that can help them reduce the risk of cancer coming back and being able to change their diet or um, change their physical activity or other intervention that can help reduce inflammation is something that can help control and it will help reduce the risk of cancer recurrence. Yes, it was just going through my mind and listening to you that having to, in a a situation that surely must feel so far out of one's control to have even minimal tools that one can control or even have the, the feeling of control has to be um, useful um, and to segue even more into your research, powerful. And let's pick up on, on the power. What is power remote weight loss intervention and how does it compare to self-directed weight loss intervention? Thank you for providing me the opportunity to tell you a little bit about our work. Uh, the power stands for practice-based opportunities for weight reduction. And uh, the very initial power study was actually conducted by our collaborators from internal medicine, uh, Dr. Larry Apple and others who also participate in the breast cancer study. And in the initial study, the investigators compared weight reduction strategy and in-person strategy when the person at high risk for, in that particular first study, cardiovascular disease or heart disease, will come and meet with a coach in person and have uh, uh, their weight taken and vital signs and so on on a regular basis. And that was compared to what they call a remote intervention, where there was a one-time visit with a coach and then everything was done through the internet and uh, phone with the coach. And this was compared to what's called a self-directed intervention, which basically means you provide the patients with an educational material and uh, they followed whatever they wanted to. So if they wanted to try and lose weight on their own, they could. And what that study showed was that the patients who participated in either the in-person power arm or in the remote power arm, both lost similar amount of weight over a 24-month period. And you see this result almost immediately within three to six months. And those that were in the self-directed arm uh, had a little bit more trouble losing weight. So we borrowed this remote intervention. Uh, Basically, uh, we felt our patients are busy. They want to live their lives. We need to help them lose weight, but we need to do it in a way that will be uh, with little interference. And um, what the study, what we did in our study was to have two arms. One is the power remote arm where the patient would meet one time with a coach and then the intervention will be done via a smartphone or internet-based platform where they can log in their foods and activity and communicate with a coach and then a self-directed arm. And in both arm patients receive the same amount of intervention. And in, in our particular study, the coaching was for a year, uh, and we also collected hmm. some baseline, um, and then over time, 
questionnaires related to uh, mood and sleep and other activities and also uh, blood samples to look at uh, inflammatory and other biomarkers. And I want to ask you about the biomarkers and what you ended up seeing there. I'm curious, though, what did you hear from the patients and what did you hear from the coaches? What did the coaches say um, about, uh, you know, the interactions and um, the feedback that they were getting, I guess, in, in, in real time from the patients? So um, let me start with the patients. So first, our patients were thrilled to be able to join a study where there's an intervention where we're trying to help them to do something that was difficult for them to do on their own. And uh, I, it, it, part of why I started this study was that, you know, I'd sit in clinic with my patients and they tell me that they were eating very little and they were exercising and they're just not able to lose weight. And I knew they were trying very hard. So we wanted to provide them the coaching they needed. So it was very easy to enroll and we enroll patients, not just from our site, but we, we publicize it to the community. Uh, so patients were very, very happy to have this opportunity. And the coaches, some of the coaches worked previously on the cardiovascular study I described to you. So we actually had all educational forum, and I have to thank my colleague Cesar Santa Maria, really developed some of the educational materials where we actually taught the coaches about breast cancer. They knew a lot about weight loss, but we taught them about mm. some of the potential um, uh, symptoms or treatments that our patients have gone through that they may not be as familiar with. And I would imagine for the coaches, it's very fulfilling to realize that the work that they are accustomed to doing now can be applied as well. And you're helping find ways to apply that work to this potentially whole new population that can get such benefits from their coaching. I, I would have to assume that's got to be very fulfilling. Absolutely. This has been an incredible collaboration that's expanding in addition to our colleagues that I already mentioned in internal medicine. We have uh, a, psych a behavioral psychologist. We have um, individuals who are specialized in nutrition and individuals from endocrinology. It's been a very rewarding collaboration. And tell me about the impact on biomarkers. So you, you went through the study. Um, what was the impact on biomarkers for breast cancer risk and ability to improve patient outcomes? So as I mentioned previously in this study, we compared several biomarkers and we chose biomarkers that are either related to obesity or to breast cancer risk. And many of those biomarkers are what we call inflammatory biomarkers, so some of the biomarkers we looked at are um, adiponectin and leptin, which uh, are commonly altered in individuals who are overweight and obese. We also looked at lipid profiles. We looked at insulin and glucose and um, a C-reactive protein. And the other maybe more novel biomarker we looked at was telomere length. And uh, what we've seen is that as been consistent with other studies, we did see positive changes in uh, leptin and also modulation and inflammatory biomarkers and lipid profiles. So overall, it suggests that losing weight is, is good for you in many ways uh, as it relates to heart disease and diabetes, but in additional 
And ad additionally, it may be helpful in reducing the risk of cancer, again, perhaps through having uh, less inflammation and less uh, insulin resistance. And I'm curious, were you, w w was there impact on the people who did the remote coaching and, and did the remote weight loss? Was there additional behavioral change or ongoing behavioral change for them even after? Were you able to, to look at that at all? Did they, in a sense, stay with the program even once the program might have ended more than the self-directed? I'm, I'm assuming that they did, If, but I don't know if that was something that you uh, had the opportunity to, to, to look at. In this particular study, we have not looked at benefits beyond one year, uh, but in the previous study I described to you in the cardiovascular disease prevention. Yes. We know that the benefits, the people who lose weight uh, at three to six months seem to be able to maintain this weight loss mm. at 12 and 24 months. So it seems to be fairly sustained. So once you are able to create this change in behavior, you teach people what's, what works for them. And what, what we do here is, is coaching in an individualized way, each person has perhaps a different weakness, and we're able to coach them to teach them how to use different tools to maybe eat differently or have uh, new m methods of physical activity to create this new balance that leads to weight loss in their situation. So every individual is different. But once you've been able to help an individual lose weight, it seems to be fairly sustained. Well, personally, I happen to have two weaknesses, Ben and Jerry's. It's, it's both of them. So you would, have, you would have to do double work with me because it's, it's really both of them. Uh, hey, and, uh, and part of it is that uh, you should not avoid your weaknesses altogether, but know how to uh, 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 use them in a way that will continue to um, – you, you can continue to enjoy your weakness, but also uh, lose some weight while doing it. Thank you, doctor. Now, now I see why your patients love you so much. I love that advice. Thank you. You're, you're hired. Um, there's, a, there's another personal health wellness area um, that I understand that you uh, have recently reported on um, out in San Antonio, and that was on sleep. Um, what did you study? What did you find? And what should we know about? Thank you for highlighting this uh, recent presentation. Uh, my colleague, uh, Jenny Shang, with uh, other collaborators, uh, Janelle Cuffling and Michael Smith, have looked at the same patients that we talked about who enrolled in our Power Remote study. And what they looked at was uh, whether they had a sleep disturbance and whether that affected uh, their weight loss. We know that sleep disturbance is very common in uh, in cancer survivor and is associated with obesity, suboptimal eating, uh, behaviors, and metabolism. So what we did here, we looked at people who reported poor sleep at baseline, and then we looked at whether they were able to lose weight in, the, in a similar fashion. And what we found was that uh, patients who had poor sleep were having more difficulty losing weight. Um, and my colleague, Dr. Coughlin, actually has an ongoing study right now, which is also supported in part by Breast Cancer Research Foundation, 
where uh, all the patients received this six months uh, intervention, the power remote intervention, intervention. But prior to the weight loss intervention, they're randomized to an eight week sleep intervention or not. So we're trying to figure out whether helping people sleep better before they're starting their weight loss strategy uh, will be helpful. So we're looking forward to reporting that in the next year or so. That will be uh, very interesting to hear about. And, um, you know, it's another resolution. I mean, you're, you're hitting on, among the things that's so interesting to someone like me about your work is you're hitting on these these wellness areas that we all think about and and we all kind of know that we should be doing we we all know we shouldn't be eating you know seven pints of ben and cherries to exaggerate the point but we we know that being fit and and caring you know and, and carrying extra weight is is a negative thing we know we should be sleeping better and uh, to be able to tie that directly to um, the physical benefits and the biomarkers that you're talking about um, for breast cancer um, it, it has to go back to one of the points that you raised at the beginning, very, very empowering. There's so much about it that we can't control. Um, here are some things and some tools that can put some aspects of it, um, a little bit with help, a little bit back into your control. That's absolutely the message that we're um, sharing with our patients. Uh, we don't always have an explanation of why one developed breast cancer. Uh, we have some medical treatments that would be helpful, but the additional wellness strategies can help even further, and that's absolutely in their control. So let me ask you about the patients and your patients, because I read a great quote of yours. You were talking about physician scientists, people who move seamlessly between the laboratory and clinic, between the science and the patient. And you said, and I'm quoting you here, I, I was impressed not only with the breadth of their scientific knowledge, but even more so with their ability to translate state-of-the-art research into the specific context of patient treatments. Why does that combination speak so strongly to you? So, um, as a physician, I want to continue and provide the best possible treatments and hopefully cures for our patients. And I know that what we have available to us today uh, is still still limited to some degree. Don't get me wrong. We've had amazing, amazing advancements in the last few years and decades, but still some individuals will have a breast cancer recurrence or diagnosed with advanced breast cancer or other types of cancer for that matter and would die of their disease. And even if they live with it for years, um, this is something that influences every day of their lives. So I'm hopeful that we can continue and improve outcomes across the continuum of breast cancer. And to do that, I feel that we need to bring new scientific discoveries from the laboratory to the clinic. So the example we talked about today, uh, here we have a weight loss intervention, but what we're trying to do is learn why do some people lose weight? And why? what we didn't mention is that about half of the women lost at least 5% of their weight in the intervention arm, but about 50% did not. And those women worked as hard. So what is it? Is there something biologically different uh, or is are there other 
parameters, we just mentioned sleep, for example, or a biomarker that can help us tell women better whether they're going to be able to lose weight with the behavioral strategy or whether they need something else. And to help us with some of these answer, we work with um, amazing laboratory scientists. In, in this example, uh, Dr. Sharma did most of our cytokine work and Dr. Armanios did some of our telomere work. Uh, so lots of uh, people uh, were thinking about the same problem, but from a different perspective. And I think that that's going to bring more solutions and more um, cures and discoveries. We certainly would hope so. I'm curious as well about you. How did you get into this? I mean, going back, where did you grow up for you? Was it, was it always science? Um, was it always research and medicine? Um, did you ever think perhaps that instead you'd be a fiction novelist or world-class skier? Um, how'd you get into this? I always wanted to be a physician and my, my own memory is, uh, to the age of five or so when my grandfather was in the hospital for many weeks and uh, my mother was one of the primary t- uh, caretakers for him. And I spent lots of time observing the amazing teams that took care of him. And it inspired me to be a physician. And I thought he had lung cancer and died of that cancer. And you know, whether that story is exactly right or not, I cannot be sure, but uh, it inspired me to want to be a physician. And then um, I was always strong in sciences and uh, was uh, able to um, attend medical school and always was interested in oncology. And when I started doing my clinical rotations, that interest even um, increased because what I liked about oncology was that you are specialized, but you also become the primary care physician, if you will, of that patient. And you get very, very close to the patient and the family. So you're able to have this close relationship while also being uh, a specialist. And then during my my fellowship, I this is when I really decided that I wanted to pursue breast cancer related um, research and uh, focus my my clinic on breast cancer and this by working by other uh, breast cancer research uh, foundation um, recipients, uh, Mark Lipman, Dan Hayes, and Nancy Davidson. So I've been inspired by working uh, with them to continue. Uh, their legacy and improve outcomes of those living with and beyond breast cancer. What do folks like me just not understand? What, what part of the battle to cure breast cancer do you wish perhaps people heard better or understood more? The way I think about breast cancer today is really evolved over um, the two decades that have been practicing Years ago, we thought of breast cancer uh, as maybe one or two uh, diseases. But since that time, we understand that there are several subtypes of breast cancer. And even within breast cancer, there are multiple subtypes. So what makes it challenging is that many of our studies focus on, uh, on, on the larger subtypes, if you will. Uh, and now we have to get a little bit more specific into those smaller categories within the larger categories. 
And this is where it becomes more difficult because uh, even though breast cancer is relatively common in Western societies, when you need to do those very specific studies, you really do need to conduct those over many sites and centers. And some of our most important studies have been international in nature. Mm. So this is very challenging. And the other thing that people need to know that it takes sometimes years to conduct and report results. And this is even more compounded in uh, studies of prevention, cancer prevention, because uh, even though you might be delivering an intervention and comparing it to some control, you need to wait years to count the number of cancer to develop to know if your intervention benefited people. Uh, and the number of individual and expense that uh, goes along with it are just very large. And that's been one of the most challenging type of studies to conduct. Yes, time and uh, patience um, are hard, very hard under normal circumstances, surely uh, even harder under the circumstances that uh, that you're trying to do research on. Um, Dr. Stearns, to, to close out, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, BCRF, what, what role... Um, have they played in your research? The Breast Cancer Research Foundation has been instrumental in my research over the years in several ways. Uh, first and foremost, of course, is the funding that allowed us to conduct series of studies. I've described at least a couple to you today, but over the years we've conducted several studies. And those are the type of studies that are difficult to sometimes get uh, funded or to do in a comprehensive manner with some of the more traditional federal-based uh, agencies. Uh, so what the BCRF has allowed me to do is to trust that I can deliver on uh, what I, I told the uh, BCRF leadership I can do, uh, and then I can take those results and create or design larger studies and bring other grants to support the work. So leveraging the initial fundings from BCRF and provide that additional support to new um, studies. And uh, this has been really uh, an incredible uh, resource uh, over the years. The second thing is by developing collaborations and partnership with other BCRF grantees. I have mm. numerous collaborations. I can't, I can't even start counting them uh, with you. And um, those have been, again, very important uh, for us to advance uh, the science. Uh, and I will add another uh, benefit, which is uh, the BCRF also supports uh, education and uh, mentorship of a lot of our uh, young faculty members and uh, throughout the years in partnership with other uh, foundations such as the American Society of Clinical Oncology, among other, many of our uh, trainees received Young Investigator Award or other Career Development Award. And again, uh, BCRF has been instrumental in that. And in fact, I was a recipient of the uh, Advanced uh, uh, Career Research Award from the BCRF uh, 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 over a decade ago. And again, those have all been instrumental uh, to our continued pursuit in um, improving all outcomes related to breast cancer. 
Well, thank you uh, for that, and thank you for uh, your collaboration and mentorship and work and research uh, and for your conversation today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris. That was my conversation with Dr. Varid Stearns. My thanks to Dr. Stearns for joining and you for listening. To learn more about breast cancer research or to subscribe to our podcast, go to bcrf.org slash podcasts.